You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 49 this morning. Genesis chapter 49, and as you, as you find it, um, go ahead and stand out of respect for God's word here this morning. And Genesis chapter 49. Um, as we come to this chapter, uh, we've already in Genesis 48 looked at the fact that Jacob's coming to the end of his life. And if you remember last time that we were in Genesis, Joseph brings his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to, J- to Jacob. Jacob can't see very well. Um, J- Joseph brings his sons and places them in the right order where the oldest will be receiving the blessing of the right hand. And yet in that moment, Jacob crossed his arms and blessed the youngest son. And sometimes that happens. Life goes crossways and we don't understand what God is doing, but God has a plan. And we have to trust that God knows what he's doing. And so Jacob has already begun this process coming down to the end of his life and blessing his family. He starts with Joseph and uh, his sons. And now he calls the rest of his sons to him. And he's going to make some prophetic statements about his sons. And when I say prophetic, I mean prophecy. He's looking ahead into the future of their families and their tribes. And uh, this is, God is supernaturally giving Jacob insight into what will take place with each of his sons. That's not how how God works these days. We believe that God speaks to us through his word. We have the completed revelation of God right here. And yet in this day and age, especially because of the family uh, that God was going to use in his kingdom, uh, Jacob is calling his sons to himself Uh, to give prophetic statements about them based on their behavior, their character, and then just the kind of these oracles, these prophecies about what will happen with these families. And I'd like to uh, focus on some of these. We're not going to read all of them, um, but I I was tempted to just get through them all today, but I stopped at the first one, so be thankful I did. Um, Some of these, his sons, received just short statements, I mean, just short aphorisms about their future as as a tribe, as a family. Some of his sons get longer oracles or longer uh, statements made about them. And usually, primarily, um, except for Judah, these were negative. Uh, Because some of the sons made decisions in their past that affected their future. And and that's kind of the idea that I want to look at today. We're only going to look at the oracle of Reuben, the oldest son. And we're going to see that his choices affected God's ability to bless him. And that, is, that, that may not apply, you may not think that applies to you today, but it applies to every one of us today. Your choices today affect God's ability to bless you tomorrow. And you've got, we've got to live with that reality in mind. Here's the oldest son, and he's probably excited about the blessing. And yet it changes pretty fast for him. Look at Genesis 49 verse 1. It says, And Jacob called unto his sons... And said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. That gives us a glimpse into the fact that Jacob is looking to the future. Uh, What shall befall you in the last days. He says, gather yourselves together and hear ye sons of Jacob and hearken unto Israel, your father. His other name, God-given name is Israel. Verse 3, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength. The excellency of dignity and the excellency of power, unstable as water. Thou shalt not excel 
because thou wentest up to thy father's bed. Then defiledst it, thou it, he went up to my couch. You say, boy, that's an encouraging thought right there, you know. But sometimes messages, you get to a message and you think it's not going to be that fun. But it might be one of the more necessary messages we ever hear. Sometimes the messages that are the least enjoyable to listen to are maybe the most necessary to listen to. And this is one of those that I think will be a help. You know, I was tempted to talk about the first three sons and go to Simeon and Levi. But as I, talked, I looked at Reuben's failures, I saw a strong correlation between him and the temptations of our age. And it seemed wise to focus on him today. Today's title is this, Reuben's Passion Problem. He had a passion problem. He had some issue controlling his passions. And he found out on this day a lesson that we all need is this. What we do today will affect God's ability to bless our future. What we do today will affect God's ability to bless our future. Today's choices become tomorrow's consequences. And I hope you'll hear this this morning. Um, just, just ask the Lord to give you a heart to hear a truth that may come across as a hard truth, but it's one that we need today. Let's pray and ask God to help us. I love you, Lord, and I need you. We all need you. I pray that you'd bless our time and that you'd help us to connect um, our life situations with what Reuben dealt with. God, we, we need you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When I was a kid, my, my family vacations, and maybe you can relate to this, but my family vacations um, were typically camping trips. That's what we did um, for vacations. I grew up in Wyoming, and uh, there were plenty of beautiful places to camp. Um, and uh, there you had about a two-week time frame where you could actually be outside, you know, in Wyoming. But no, we had great summers, beautiful summers. We had the mountains we could go camp in. And, and my dad was a big fisherman. I've said that before to you. And although I, I, I enjoy fishing, um, fishing is not my spiritual gift. Um, my dad and my brother catch fish like they were born to do it. And I would stand there and drown a bunch of worms all day. That's kind of my spiritual gift, I guess. Um, inevitably, after about 30 minutes of fishing, I would find myself exploring. That's what I did. I would go walk in the mountains, and, and, uh, and while my dad was fishing, one of the things that I would end up doing, and I, I found a rock. I, I was going to go find a rock out of the rock bed, so I realized there were three feet of snow on, on the rock beds. And, but I did find God did provide this one. So um, I, I would typically, my dad would be fishing, and I would typically find a place to go and throw rocks. Okay, I know that sounds like a weird thing to do, but that's a healthy thing for a boy to do, you know. And I, I would go find rocks, and, and I learned early on, I did learn that rocks and fishing aren't compatible. My dad made that lesson very clear early on. So I would find a place kind of further away from my dad up in those mountain lakes uh, in the Uinta Mountains, where, where, which were just south of where I grew up in Evanston, Wyoming. And my dad would be fishing, and I would go around somewhere else on the lake and I would find a spot with a lot of rocks and if they were smooth and thin you know what you what boys do right you skip rocks I'm not going to really do it so don't be afraid ducking this morning I would skip rocks got to be pretty good at it I think at one point I had a Guinness world record just didn't have any witnesses to prove it so um but I, I was I became good at skipping rocks I would throw rocks I would uh you know throw them out as far as I could I'd throw them in the lake I would 
Occasionally as a boy I would see an animal and try to hit it with a rock because that's what boys do, right, you know. Um, so it's just a healthy thing for a boy to do. But one thing that I, I noticed that as a kid is no matter how hard I tried, if I threw a rock into the water, I never could do it without making ripples. It's impossible. I mean, if you're, you're going to throw a rock into water, um, then you're going to have waves every time. You say, this is really obvious today. Okay, I know it's obvious, but my mind as a kid, I, was, I would notice that stuff. And no matter how big the rock was, I mean, I've got a small rock here today, but no matter how big the rock was, it would always make waves. No matter the angle in which the rock entered the water, it would always create ripples. And, and just as inevitable as this is that I couldn't control the direction of the ripples. If a, if a rock went into the water, it always comes out in a circle, doesn't it? Uh, you don't just throw it in the water and, and the, the ripples only go one direction. In other words, when you throw a rock into water, it's at that point that you lose control of what happens. The ripples are going to take place. The ripples are going to spread out from the rock. And eventually, just because it's a, a law of physics, those ripples will eventually make their way back to the shore where you're standing. You see, it's cause and effect. and You can't escape it. Cause and effect is a part of life. And you understand this. Uh, I don't have to get into this too much. But for us to think that we can avoid a cause and effect in life is like someone thinking they can throw a rock into a pond or lake and not make waves. But it doesn't work that way. See, and it doesn't work with our actions either. See, I think a lot of people think in life that they can live their lives and, and, could, and do what they do without consequences to their actions. They think, I will be the, this, I'll be the exception. I can throw a rock into water and not make ripples. I'm the one that it won't come back in, in effect and bite in the end. My causes won't have effects. And that's a silly thing to think because every one of us are subject to the laws of nature. We're subject to the laws of gravity. You don't get to be the exception. I don't get to be the exception. If you throw rocks, you have to deal with the ripples. And some things can't be avoided. Unfortunately, though, for some of Jacob's sons, they were about to find out that the ripples of the rocks they threw many years before this moment were about to come back and hit the shore. See, this passage is bringing to an end the generation of Jacob. And early on in our series on Genesis, we would talk about the, that Hebrew word, the toldot, which is what became of this man. And if you read the, uh, the book of Genesis, you'll notice, especially early, it was more prominent where it would say, this is what became of, or these are the generations of, of, uh, of Adam and Abraham and those things. These are, this is what became of this person. And for a while, we have been looking at what became of Jacob's family. This is still, even Joseph's stories are under the category of what became of Jacob's family. We've been looking at Jacob for a long time. And, and as far as I can tell, uh, we've been thinking about his death for a long time. Because way back in Genesis 37, when Joseph disappeared and he thought Joseph was dead, Jacob said, I'll go down into my, the, my grave uh, of my, uh, unto my son mourning. 
He's been thinking about his death. And so this whole time, this narrative has been full of tension the whole time. We've been asking questions like, you know, is, is this going to work out for Jacob? Is he going to find out Jacob, Joseph is alive? Are his brothers, Joseph's brothers, going to come clean? Uh, will Jacob die in peace? Well, I think it's safe to say that God has wrapped things up for Jacob in a good way. God has taken care of Jacob. He's ready. Jacob is ready to pass on. He's ready to take this next step into death and pass on his blessings. And what I appreciate about Jacob, what's so encouraging is the level of faith that he has at the end of his life. He refuses to give up on God's promises. And he says, I know that God's promises are still valid. Even after death, he, he knows that God still has a plan for his family. And he says, I want to be buried in the promised land. I want to be buried in Canaan. And, and what I appreciate about it is, at whatever your age, you can finish strong. You can have faith all the way up to the end. You can make a difference all the way up to the end. And I want to encourage some of our older folks in the room today to say that Jacob had as strong a faith at the end of his life as he did any other point in his life. And you can finish strong and make a difference. I'm thankful for the way that Jacob's operating by faith. So these two chapters are Jacob setting his affairs in order. He, he's trying to take care of his family and, and set his affairs and, and take, you know, they didn't have written wills. And so this time of calling his sons together in a formal way was his way of saying, here's the inheritance, here's who gets this, here's who gets the blessing. Those kinds of things are on his mind. And, and just so you understand, this is no normal blessing. This family had been promised that the Messiah would come through this family. That's a big deal. Jesus Christ would be born through Jacob's family, one of Jacob's sons. And, and this is no ordinary blessing. And so it becomes clear that Jacob values God's promises. He values this blessing. He values the inheritance that he's going to pass on. And what we see here is Jacob choosing to be very careful who he entrusts with the blessing. Because something of great value, you don't just let anybody take care of it, do you? I mean, when our kids were little, I, I love my kids when they're little, but if they're a toddler and we have a, a priceless vase, vase in our house, which we don't, but if we did, uh, because they broke it, but if we did, we wouldn't let them carry that thing around or play with it. I mean, I wouldn't, if I got a brand new car, um, which I had never had a brand new car, but if I had one and it was a nice vehicle, um, I would not let a new teenage driver drive it. E ever, I wouldn't. You know, if you have something of value, you don't just entrust it to anybody. Well, here's Jacob, and he has the most valuable blessing that any family has ever had. This, this blessing means the Messiah will be born to the son that Jacob blesses. And this is of greatest value. You don't just give this to anybody. And we see Jacob start making his choices based on the choices of his sons. God has big plans for this family. But some of them have disqualified themselves from being able to be part of the blessing. 
So Jacob calls his family to himself. He says that I may tell you that, with, that which shall befall you in the last days. He's giving prophecies. And at this point, Jacob can't see very well. But I believe that he clearly has his eyes of faith set on God's promises. It may be that Jacob sees more clearly in this moment than he ever has his whole life, even though he can't see with his physical eyes. He calls his sons to himself, and, and as he pronounces prophecies for his sons, the lesson that becomes clear is this. And what you and I can take away from this passage as we go through it the next couple of weeks is this, that one day, someday, you and I will stand before God and answer for our actions. Sometimes we think, well, what I'm doing right now has no bearing on anything. But one day you will stand by yourself before the God of heaven. And he has seen every moment and he's seen every choice you made and he has read every thought in your head and he has seen every secret that you have held and he knows all of it and you have thought that in your private moments nobody else has seen but you'll stand before God one day and find out that he has watched every one of them. And over and over in our lives we throw rocks and we think that the rocks we've thrown have left no ripples. But every rock that has left your hands and landed in the water has made ripples. And you may not have seen them yet, but they will eventually reach the shore. And that's what makes this chapter so compelling today. Because some of the sons are blessed, and I'm thankful for it. But some of the sons have regrets. And it's all dependent on the rocks that they threw. See, some sons like J J um, Judah... And Joseph, a lot of Jave names. I feel like I'm talking about the Jacob family this morning. Some sons like Judah and Jacob have created, have great promises. But for others like Reuben, it's unsettling. He has great regrets. See, I hope that you realize today as we go through this, that we get to choose what our moment before Christ looks like. You get to choose what the moment you stand before Jesus Christ looks like. The judgment seat of Christ. Your choices in life either choose whether or not you're, you stand before Christ with blessing or regret. The judgment seat of Christ is coming. You will stand before him and you are shaping your future with the decisions that you make today. Your behavior, our behavior, our choices today directly impact God's blessings for us in the future. And this is no more clearly evident than in the way that Jacob deals with his first three sons. Specifically today we're talking about Reuben. See, first, Reuben's choices impacted God's blessings in his life. Reuben's choices impacted God's blessings in his life. See, Reuben started off with incredible potential. I mean, think about it. He was the firstborn son. I mean, the firstborn son had all the advantages. He was born rightfully his were the birthright and the blessing. They belonged to him because of his, his status as the firstborn son. Reuben was once Jacob's pride and joy. This was, this, you know, I remember when Olivia was born, and I, you know, I've talked about this before, but there's something about your firstborn that you, I mean, it's just something special, and you, you can't believe that God would allow you to have a part in this. I remember when Olivia was born, she was real little, and I would carry her around with, in one arm like this, like a football, and, 
And I would, it was like a trophy I would carry around at church. And I would be like, I did this. I mean, my wife did, had a very small part in it. But, for, but mostly, you know, I took the credit, okay? Okay, now I say that tongue-in-cheek. She did, she was like 30% of it. I was maybe 35. Okay, so, no, I'd carry her around. It was a trophy. Like, it was my pride and joy and something special that God would allow me to, to be a dad to something that's this cute and adorable. And, and, and it just was something I just swelled with pride and joy. And, and can you imagine then? Reuben at one point, that's how Jacob carried Reuben around. He's his oldest son and his firstborn son. Can you imagine then Reuben hearing Jacob's first words? You know, Reuben comes in and he's like, oh yeah, I'm first. I'm the oldest. You know, we all know what happens to the oldest. They get the blessing. They get the best inheritance. So can you imagine then Reuben as he was standing there hearing Jacob say, thou art my firstborn, my might." And the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. I imagine Reuben's like, oh yeah. Oh, are you guys, are you hearing this? He's standing a little bit taller. Um, he just knew he's about to get the double portion. He's the oldest. He's the leader. He'd stepped in to save Joseph when they wanted to kill him. Don't forget about that. I mean, he even he offered his sons as collateral to Jacob when, when Jacob was deciding whether or not to send Benjamin back to Egypt. I mean, we've talked about that story as well. This is his moment of truth. And he's thinking, I'm going to be the king of this little nation. These promises, they are mine. But very soon, the truth that gets us all got him too. See, the ripples reach the shore. And our choices today impact God's blessings tomorrow. Jacob's flattering words turn into flattening words as Reuben is put into his place because Jacob says in verse 4, unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. And like cold water thrown in Reuben's face, uh, he says, unstable as water. And that means that Reuben couldn't be counted on. He's irresponsible. He's up and down. And he's inconsistent. It's like water seeks its lowest level. That was Reuben's character. See, remember, this is both about Reuben and his future family. And what we know about the tribe of Reuben is it came true. They did not excel. Uh, they, not one judge came from the tribe of Reuben. Not one king came from the tribe of Reuben. In fact, Reuben was one of those tribes that settled on the east side of Jordan and never actually entered and claimed the land in the promised land. They, they settled on the east side of Jordan and, and, and never went into Canaan. And First Chronicles says they were the first tribe carried away captive by Assyria. They never did excel. But even worse is what Jacob declares next. Here's why you, you're unstable as water, Reuben. Here's why you won't excel, Reuben. He says in verse 4, Because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. Reuben was a man of uncontrolled lust. He lacked self, sexual self-control and it undid any potential that God placed within him as the oldest son. And, and this is where the message gets hard because I'm talking about things that aren't easy to hear. But I just want to remind you that, that you hear about lust 
and you see sexual sin and you know all about it in culture everywhere you look. And so why not then in church with God's word talk about it from the right perspective? Because I can tell you that we're all getting it from the wrong perspective every day. Don't you know that God wanted to bless Reuben, but because of his uncontrolled lust, it undid any potential that God had placed within him as the oldest son. God had a big plan for Reuben. God, God, God wanted to bless him as the oldest, but when a person can't control their passions, it usually ends up costing them everything. And we covered this story back in Genesis 35. It says it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel, Jacob, heard it. So 40 years before this moment, it had been 40 years, I mean four decades, that Reuben had a sinful relationship with Jacob's concubine, or if you want to call it his wife, or Bilhah is Jake, one of Jacob's wives or concubines, and Reuben had a sinful relationship with his father's concubine. And at that moment of his life, it summarized his character in that he lacked control. He had, and by the way, he had years to repent of his sin. And according to what we're reading here, Reuben never repented. He never made things right. He never worked this out with Jacob. And you see, his life was like water. It was uncontrolled, but destructive. It was overflowing its banks. That's who Reuben was. His unwillingness to bridle his sexual passion cost him God's blessings. And folks, listen, this isn't only a Reuben problem. See, if we ever needed to hear a message about the dangers of unbridled passion, it's right now in our culture. There are images everywhere. There are screens everywhere, including in our, as I mentioned in men's prayer meeting this morning, there are screens in our pockets. There are screens in our purses. There are screens in our cars now. There are screens in our, in our homes. We no longer have much of a sense of modesty. There's not much of a sense of shame. Anything goes these days. However you want to define that's the, the sexual experience and relationship, it's all on the table. There's nothing beyond uh, what anybody's imagination can think of that you could call wrong. If you can think of it, it's okay. That's where we're at these days. Lust is, is destructive and it's unholy and it's grieving to God. But friends, Satan desires to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And it doesn't matter the potential you have. You could be like Reuben and, and you've got, God has big plans for your life and he wants to bless your life. But listen, uncontrolled lust cancels all potential. Reuben never checked his passions and it cost him everything. And the fact that he went into his father's bed in the first place is evidence that he had no control. See, as the oldest son, he wanted to be the one that received the blessing. He wanted the blessings. He wanted the inheritance from, from Jacob. So right, right before he did that with Bilhah, Rachel had died. That was Jacob's favorite wife. And so, uh, so Reuben sees this opportunity and 
he sees that, well, okay, my, my father's favorite wife has died. So I am, rather than him choose Bilhah to become his favorite wife, I'm going to go in with Bilhah. I'm going to have a relationship with her so that she can be my wife so that he won't choose Bilhah to be his favorite wife. And maybe he'll choose Leah, my mom, to be his, this is convoluted, isn't it? He'll choose Leah, my mom, to be his favorite wife. Then I'm guaranteed the inheritance. A lot of people believe that's what he was doing. So it wasn't just lust for, for the sake of sexual gratification. It was lust for power. It was lust for riches. It was lust for authority. And what we see here is that Reuben didn't control his passion. To, he didn't allow God to take care of the situation. He said, if I want it... I'm going to go get it. And the ironic part of all of this is that the very act that he committed in order to gain the blessing is actually what cost him the blessing in the first place. You don't get to gain God's blessings by doing things your way. You submit to God's methods and he gives you his blessings. And for some of you this morning, you've come in and you say, my life is a wreck. My life is in chaos. Nothing's happening. I don't think God's blessings are on my life. I don't know what's happening. I just really wish things would be different. Well, what you need to do is go back to this book. Find out how God says we ought to live and do what the Bible says and you will find life doesn't get necessarily easier but the blessings that God gives you in the middle of the hardships kind of help you get through those hard times and the blessings that you find are well worth whatever submission it takes to get there. I'm telling you, if your life this morning is without God's blessings, it is because you have not submitted to God's ways. If you've come in here this morning and you want to turn things around, it's a new year, you think I want a fresh start, the best fresh start you'll ever find is to get into God's word and find out what he says and find and say, I will live how you want me to live because I would rather have your blessings than a life full of regrets. It doesn't matter what potential you have. If you don't control your lust, you're canceling all the blessings and big plans God has for you. Reuben learns the hard way that lust out of control produces consequences he could have never dreamed of. I mean, 40 years later, he has to face the music. Not only that, it impacted his entire, his entire family. The tribe of Reuben never did anything of note. They never excelled. And understand, in God's economy, the sin of one generation does impact the next generation. Now, children don't answer for the sins of their fathers. And I, I will never pay for some sin that my dad committed. But I can tell you this, if my dad had a major sin in his life that I grew up around, it, it, it impacts me. It makes me more likely to repeat his sin. I'm not saying that I see this, my dad's a righteous person, I love him. But if my dad had grown up with some terrible habit that I watched, I, he, I, I don't answer for that for him. And he doesn't answer for that for me, but I'm telling you, it will impact me. And that, that's how sins, sins are perpetuated from one generation to the next. And God won't make you answer for the sins of your fathers, but they certainly affect us. And listen, it's not just the guilty that are affected by sin. How many families have been torn apart by sexual sin in our country? I mean, how many children have suffered when they've done nothing wrong? How many marriages have been ruined by a moment of lust? 
How many marriages are impacted by husbands and wives sneaking looks at images at someone who isn't their spouse on some website? How many young minds are being rewired by the images readily available to them at all times? And parents, if you don't have some level of control over their devices, take a step today to take care of that. Protect their minds. Reuben's choices shaped his future, and ours will too. And I just want to remind you that you will one day stand before God at the judgment seat and you will answer for the uncontrolled desires that you allowed to run rampant and make your choices for you. And too many Christians in churches just like ours are being impacted by the wickedness of pornography and sexual sin. And we probably couldn't even fathom how many relationships are being torn apart and how many people are, are filled with a spirit that is against God because of the things that they're looking at. Listen, no wonder the spirit of God isn't moving in some places and no wonder people aren't submitting to God's call through the preaching. And it's no surprise that young people are disengaged because our minds, when no one but God is looking, are walking down a path of unbridled lust. Reuben's choices shaped his future. He lost his birthright because he couldn't control his passions. What's at stake in your life? Men, your marriage is at stake. Wives, your family's at stake. And by the way, don't think this is just a male problem anymore. Parents, your children are at risk. Teenagers, your future is at stake. And the only guaranteed effect of lust is always destruction. And here's what we can learn from Reuben's judgment is that unbridled lust always leads to personal and family ruin. Unbridled lust always leads to personal and family ruin. Jesus Christ himself said, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. You say it's just a look. Well, in God's eyes, it's adultery. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, Paul wrote, Flee fornication. He said, every sin that a man committeth or doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And I don't know all that that means, but I know this. Sexual immorality is, it has a unique effect on the individual committing it. It does more than just, I'm not saying it's worse than other sin, but it impacts you more personally than other sins, according to what Paul wrote there. It affects you physically, it affects you morally, it affects you spiritually. And the word that Paul uses there in 1 Corinthians 6 is, is fornication, and that comes from the Greek word, which is porneia. Porneia, pornography. It means any sinful contact outside the boundaries of a married man and woman. See, that's the qualifier the relationship that, that pleases God is when a man, one man, one woman are married for life 
and then the marriage is honorable, the bed is undefiled, and God is pleased with that relationship. But listen, if that's the circle that everything is, I mean, it, it, that's why God is pleased, and what's allowed is within that circle, then that means that any relationship outside of a man and woman being married, any physical t contact, any sexual thoughts and ideas outside of that circle is sin. And whether it's an affair between two married people or it's a, it's a relationship between two single people, whether it's homosexual sin and activity or it's viewing uh, images that aren't your spouse on some website, listen, it's all sin in God's eyes. It is all wrong. It is all sexual immorality in God's eyes. It is nothing to be messed with. And that's why Paul said, flee fornication. You know, he didn't say stand strong. He doesn't say, resist. He doesn't say, you can do it. No, he says, flee. Run. Get out of there. And if only Reuben had paid attention or heard the story of his brother Joseph. I mean, when Potiphar's wife came to Joseph as a teenage boy, she said, lie with me. And Joseph could have, could have done what he wanted to do, as many young men would have done in that situation. But Joseph, because he knew God was watching, Joseph says, no, I'm going to stand here in the corner and I'm going to resist as hard as I can. No, that's not what he did. He didn't say, I'm going to stand strong. I can do this. No, you know what he did? She grabbed onto his coat. He, let, he ran out of the sleeves and ran out of the room because he believed what Paul believes. And that is the only way to protect yourself against the sexual sin and unbridled lust that I am capable of and you are capable of is this one word. Run. Flee. Get away. Jacob says Reuben is like unstable water. Water is great. I'm thankful for water. I'm thankful for moisture. I'm thankful for rain. I'm thankful for drinking water that's safe. But when water flows outside of its banks, it destroys everything. And when, when water floods your home, you're not thankful for water like that. When a pipe breaks in your ceiling, you're certainly not thankful for that. You see, water is great and water is helpful and water is life-giving. But when water is in a place it shouldn't be, it is life-taking. And that is what, J what Jacob's thought is to Reuben you're unstable as water and that you stepped outside the boundaries of what a relation physical relationship is supposed to be and it has destroyed everything it's touched and folks today I just want to say it's time to flee it's time to flee unbridled lust it, it, it will destroy you it will destroy your family it will destroy a church family. It's already destroying our society. God judged the unbridled lust of Sodom and Gomorrah with serious consequences. Let's stop assuming that we as United States of Americans can walk the line and push the envelope and not have God judge us for the same things that he would judge Sodom and Gomorrah for. 
My dad used to say, preaching, he said, if God doesn't judge us, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. But it's not just the lost, it's God's people. And we walk the line and, and we, I mean, we think that I'm going to be the exception and I can look at this and it not affect me. And we throw a rock. Or I can, I can have this relationship and nobody else will know so it doesn't affect, affect anybody and I'll throw a rock. You know, I can, I can view these images and I can, I can walk the line and as long as it's, nobody else sees it, I'm just throwing a rock. And, and you think you're throwing a rock without making any ripples, but every rock you throw creates waves. And every rock you throw has effects. And you may not see it right away, but those effects are the ring of ripples is headed your direction. And you think, I will be the exception, but nobody ever it is. Listen, let's, let's stop assuming we can resist and stand strong. No, it's time to run away. Save yourself. If flee means getting rid of your phone, say, well, now you're getting real extreme, preacher. No, if, if flee means get rid of your phone, do it today. If flee means putting some kind of accountability software on your computer, don't wait. If flee means cutting off an unhealthy relationship, don't hesitate. If flee means I quit my job and by faith find something else because I've got to get out of a situation, your marriage is worth it, men. If flee means getting help, do it today. If, if it means stop watching your favorite show, it's time. If it means turning off the TV altogether, it's worth it. I'm telling you, because every time you don't flee, you're throwing a rock into a lake. And no matter how big the rock, it could be a small rock. It could be a small look. It could be something that nobody sees, nobody will ever know about. But every rock, no matter the size, every rock creates ripples. And those ripples are headed your direction. One day they will reach the shore you're standing on. You will answer for unbridled passions when you stand before God. Folks, your, our ability to flee the lusts of life will directly impact how much God can bless us in the future. We need hearts that say, I'd rather enjoy God's blessings tomorrow than temporary pleasures today. You have to decide what you value most. Do you value temporary moments of pleasure or permanent blessings before God. One day you will stand before God and it's the most important moment of your existence. And it all comes down to that appointment for you. And I can tell you this, in that moment, you'll regret every rock you threw. You'll regret every moment of unbridled passion and lust. You'll wish you could go back and erase every one of them and you won't be able to, but what you can do is start today by stop throwing rocks. You can say today, no, listen, I can't change the past, but I can today make a decision that I am done heading this direction. I will start fleeing fornication. See, listen, listen let the judgment seat dictate your choices. Uh, too many people make their choices by passion instead of promises. They're making their decisions by emotion instead of truth. And nothing will contribute to a life of regret like a life lived by passions. Are you willing to take some steps today to ensure a better judgment seat experience? See, will you decide to value God's blessings over your passions? 
Are, are you willing to put some things in place in your life that will help you flee when you're tempted? And maybe you've already made some bad choices. Are you willing to humble yourself and repent and confess your sin and make things right with the people that you've hurt? That's half the battle. Maybe you say, well, I haven't made bad choices in this area. Well, today I'm going to say, will you make the decision today to become a fleer? Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've done pretty well in this, but I know that at any moment I could be tempted. Okay, decide right now that you're not going to be in that position and practice it like Joseph had to have. Say, you know, if I ever get in a situation where I'm tempted to throw a rock, no, I'm not going to stand there and try to my best to resist. I'm getting out of there. Young people, it's a decision you can make today. To say, I'm not going to put myself in the position of living life with uncontrolled passion and lust. If you have already maybe failed in these areas, let me just remind you today that it's never too late to make things right. See, God has never withheld forgiveness from someone who repented and confessed it. And listen, it, you might say, I've already blown it, and it's not fair. I mean, it's not fair that, that Reuben was judged 40 years later. How is that fair? I don't understand that, how God could do that to somebody. No, listen, that's not how God works. I truly believe that if Reuben at any point in those 40 years had humbled himself before his dad and come back and confessed his sin and said, I was wrong, I did something I shouldn't have done, Father, please forgive me that he would have been forgiven for that and that blessings of God would have been enabled again. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because he has a little brother named Judah. And we'll be covering him in the next couple of weeks. But if you'll remember, Judah at one point in his life many years before had said, uh, had taken a, a, the, a wife, uh, uh, taken to wife uh, a Canaanite woman which was against what God ever said. And he stepped outside the boundaries of what God wanted him to do. And if you'll remember, Judah also at one point had an affair with his daughter-in-law after his son died. And that resulted in the birth of two twins. And those twins were, I mean, it was just, it was a mess. Judah just created a big old mess in his life. And you say, well, it's not fair that God holds these things over our heads. No, if, you'll, if you remember, some of the messages we've preached lately are about Judah's repentance and Judah's humility and how Judah turned a leaf over and said, no, I'm done living that. I want to be right. He repented of his sin and he came back to his father. And we find out in a few verses that Judah becomes the one who God blesses with Jesus Christ as part of his family, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So before you think, God can't forgive me, he'll never let this be right again, he's always going to hold it over my head. We have in this very account the example of another brother who did a lot of things wrong and God forgave him and still blessed him in incredible ways. Amen. Yes. And you can say today, well, he's not going to forgive me or bless me. But listen, Judah's story is just as true as Reuben's. And if you today will come and humble yourself before God and confess your sin, there's no reason from this day forward that God won't say, I want to bless your life. Yeah, you've made some mistakes in the past, but God is in the business of forgiveness. You know, this is public failures from Judah, and yet God forgave and blessed him. And, and he can do the same thing for you if you come and humble yourself before him.
That's the, that's the first application. Listen, if you've done something like that, and that, that, this is the danger of a message like this because people think, well, I don't want to respond because of what everyone's thinking. Oh, that's, the point is that you do business with God. But we've got a room full of people who have never taken those wrong steps like that, but you could at any day. You're just as susceptible. And so today, maybe your response is, I'm going to take steps to become a fleer so that I'm not even putting myself in that position. And let me just remind you too that if you're here this morning and you're not saved, if God could forgive sins like Judah's, he can forgive sins like yours. And he died on a cross so that redemption is made possible for you. And if you'll humble yourself before him, you can be saved. And I'm telling you, there's nothing as good as facing temptation with God on your side. So when these temptations come, fleeing, suddenly you have more power than you ever had before. Maybe you're, you're just in a bind because you don't even know how you could ever flee. Well, with God on your side, he makes it possible. Listen, I, I believe this applies to everybody in the room today. We get used to the images. We get used to the thoughts. We get used to the perversions. We get used to the things that, want, that used to be wrong. That used to be taboo in our culture. Now they're accepted and we're getting used to them. But it's time that we look at unbridled lust like God sees it. It is wicked. It's destructive. And it's nothing to mess with. It's time to become a fleer. Run away. You can't handle it in your strength. You need help. And the best thing you can do is get as far away as possible. My question to you today is, do you want God's blessings or do you want regrets? Because your decisions today determine whether or not you get blessed or you have regrets. And it's time that we deal with this issue. I know it's not fun, but it's necessary because of the culture we live in. Will you submit to how God's speaking to you about this passion problem like Reuben had? Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.